uh, came into my life uh, this summer. And it was one of those strange work things where you take a phone call. I, I get a lot of phone calls, and if you're not in my address book, there's a good chance it's going to go to voicemail, and there's a better than there should be chance that it might not get attended to the way it should. And so I don't know what caused me to actually take that phone call. But I take about one a day from just somebody I don't know. It's Sometimes it provides some entertainment value, right? You get to find out what they're selling or what they would like to explain to you. Or occasionally they want your opinion on something. I took that call and I really couldn't tell you why. But I was glad that I did. And um, as it turns out, Steve and I have more in common than I probably care to admit. And uh, after he speaks today, I might find out we have we have more in common than I'd like to admit. Um, I, I learned very quickly that he and I had almost overlapped at Georgia Tech. He, he got out or was released to the economy, as I'm learning to call it, yeah. um, in 97, which was a few years after me. But we overlapped because we were both in the Georgia Tech Chorale. And we both sung some of the same music on some of the same stages. And it's funny how there's a fraternity of things that you do together, even if you don't do it at the same time together. And he actually was performing when times where Cami was involved or other people that I know. So I got to know Steve a little bit on that because he said on that first phone call, two or three things I was like, how could he possibly guess that about some things going on at the office? And so that was the beginning of what's now a six-month maybe relationship. And so um, I every once in a while you're just inspired by somebody that you meet. You're glad that that person walks the same earth as you do. And I thought it would be good for uh, you to hear a little bit of his story. I don't want to take too much away from it. Um, but I hope you will find uh, some engaging in, engaging things with, with Steve, as you did last week with, with Chris and what Chris's journey has been like. So um, give it up for uh, Steve Keck. Well, good morning, young warriors. So good to see all you young faces. I love it. Um, yeah, I must admit, I'm a little nervous. There was a, uh, I realized that one of the things God loves to do is to celebrate your weaknesses and express himself through your testimony. So a lot of that today is really going to be built around what God taught me and has been teaching me through that. So it's a lot of autobiographical conversation that we're going to thread through. Um, so um, I also am known to go deep about things that most people don't want to talk about. So um, I apologize if that gets you a little ruffled. Part of what God gave me was the ability to ruffle people's feathers. Um, so trust me that is what I bring to the table really has the heart of understanding what it means to grow as a man in Christ and um, live beyond the things that you've walked through and live beyond your past. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, and what time am I finished? I want to make sure I'm cognizant about I don't know. Whatever. Anytime before okay. eight. Anytime before eight. <laughs> Got it. All right. So I'm doing the dishes one night in the fall of 2017. My heart is breaking. My whole. I'm asking God, what was the point of all this? Why, Lord? And tears are streaming down my face as my crushed spirit literally just falls at the feet of this. I, this doesn't always happen in dishes, but it, and suddenly and tenderly and resolutely, the Lord answered, "I love you too much to leave." I want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to start and speak to you about what's going on in my life and how we're doing things. But at first, um, if you don't mind, we pray and sort of invite the whole into this process so that everyone's heart is connected. Heavenly Father, 
Gracious Lord, we magnify your holy name and the Son you glorified. We stand here this morning as sons in which, you, Holy Spirit, we invite you to set fire in our young hearts. Sweet Father, honor the presence of those these great sons with your wisdom and power. They are here to meet with you and stand together, and their faith in you is what brings them here. You love any expression of our faith, so Father, respond this morning in undeniable ways. I offer my voice and my testimony to you, Lord. Be the fire in my voice and the glory in what you've done, are doing, and will do according to your unfailing promises. We love you, Father, and in the name of Jesus, we invite your Holy Spirit to work in this room today. It's been my experience growing with God that when he speaks to me at pivotal moments of my life, only a few words are often required. So my, the topic of my testimony today is the single sentences of God. Um, I grew up mostly in Atlanta. I moved here very, very young, and uh, when the bells split, I know. My dad moved down here, uh, moved us all down here. And I was the middle child, had a younger sister and an older brother. So naturally I was the weird one. Uh, it was expected for that to happen. Also expected that my opinions, typically my ideas were sort of overlooked with the princess as a daughter, you know, the sister and firstborn. There was little chance for my voice to be heard. Um, so I uh, grew up, we went to Embry Hills United Methodist Church. You should probably have heard of that. At the time, was a pretty vibrant church. Grew up um, going there early on, and basically from most until most of my early twenties. Um, but in that, my family gave a little little credence to an active God. It was more of a go to church, let's do our thing, be good. Um, and growing with God really wasn't a priority. There was no focus on scripture, learning the word. It was we would learn about things in Sunday school. I had a great working knowledge of the Bible. I knew all the stories, um, but I really just didn't didn't have it kind of modeled at home. And as the weird child, I was the only one who was typically asking questions about God. Um, my brother was like, let's go outside and just wasn't concerned about it. So when I was five years old, I, it was a Sunday afternoon. Um, I'm in the garage and I think I've said my first honest prayer. I had just, I must have heard something at Sunday school that day, something about talking to God or things like that. And I just threw up this prayer and I just sort of asked God if he was like, I'm hearing this thing, you know, are you real? And, and then it happened. Deep within my heart and my mind, I heard a strong, loving voice that I knew immediately wasn't coming from my thoughts. He said, I have something important for you. And that was it. Nothing else, no explanation. <laughs> and strangely, nothing was none was necessary. So I picked up my basketball and went outside and played. But what that did for me was settle something in my heart. I had heard from what I believed was the God that I was asking. And from that point forward, I always had a strong faith that God existed. And as I got into my teen years and, you know, wrestled with doubts and started learning about science and started hearing things like, is there a God, that kind of thing. I could wrestle with those thoughts with a lot of comfort. I may even felt like confident to even dive into that, knowing the end conclusion was that there was a God at the bottom. of. Um, so um, we were, I was an active member of, of the church. I was an acolyte. I was children's choir, youth choir. My mom at four years old, when she took me to church, she goes, taking me to church choir, she goes, this is the one thing you can't argue with me. You can fight with me over soccer or piano, any of that stuff. You're going to church, you're going to sing. It's like, okay. It's just funny, it's one of the best and greatest gifts she's ever given me. Um, so I did, I was active in youth. We had a 60, 60 person youth group. Um, so it was very active and vibrant with a lot of parental involvement because we went five youth pastors in five years. Um, yeah, I was, so it was 
one guy stayed two years, so that tells you about the other guys. So, um, so the parents apparently had to be very actively. And um, I went to Camp Glisten. If you guys any sent your kids there, yeah, love that place. Still love that place. Um, and really found a, a place that um, I got to be myself, where I didn't feel like I could be myself anywhere else. It was the one place I could kind of just recreate who I wanted to. Do. Camp Glisten was a reformative place for me, and I did this all the way to college. Um, the church was sort of a um, Strong on teaching grace and forgiveness. You know, one of the things I love about the Methodist church is everywhere I've been around the world where I've gone to Methodist church, it's the nicest people. Always great, really good to each other, understand the goodness of God, and they really express that. Um, but sin and evil was never discussed, either from the pulpit, and so I had nothing to be saved from because I had nothing, there was no sin to be talked about. So I didn't understand doing something wrong meant sin, and you might get punished by your mother outside of that may have some consequences in life but other than that there was nothing to be saved so in this season of my life jesus actually became my instructor teacher about god but he was not my savior and around 11 i walked into my parents room and my older brother was watching pornography that belonged to my my father i was introduced to a sin that apparently had covered my family for generations and at that point my life split in two I was the sweet church-going kid that most parents wanted their daughters to date, and that was true. And at the same time, I was developing a private labyrinth. The way I explain it is most people give you show the first floor, and they often have a basement. Well, that basement has a secret door behind the bookshelf, which is a labyrinth. And sometimes you build both those at the same time. And you sometimes let men and other people into your life to go deep into your basement, and then you still keep the labyrinth. So no one ever sees what's over there when no one's looking. And this was something that my family brought into my life, and um, I didn't understand that this was there was something wrong, that there was a sin, there was something about that. And in my nature in Christ, I shouldn't, I should develop a hatred for this. And I do not have a hatred for sin around this. I actually had a, more of an enthusiastic gift. So for the next 15 years, I became the fullest expression of the consequences of sin, um, and I was reckless with the hearts of women. I lost. Any, uh, I got lost in the objectification of other men's. I developed testicular cancer um, from a weird scenario of this. I accepted a lie that I was untouchable, and then I acted accordingly. I lived in a cycle of shame, but at the same time, I was developing a daily conversational relationship with my loving father, um, learning to hear his voice. I was becoming very sensitive to his leanings in other areas of my life when I wasn't hearing something specific. He often spoke in one sentence to me, and then it would be what seemed like silence, but I started to recognize he was speaking many different ways. Um, I was the only person in my 20s who still attended the church I grew up in. As soon as we hit college, 60, 60 kids disappeared. Never went. I was the only person who had this loving connection to my father, who wanted to be on God, who wanted to come back and sing and just sit and just learn. And that was, a, that was, that was me being weird, I guess, which I think God loved that. But in, even in my church at this time, no older man came to get me, and no man felt they needed, they wanted to mentor me. And basically, no man saw me, and that resonated for decades. But change began early in 2001 at Kroger, standing in line, and I look over at magazines, and I see, of course, there's a woman on a Cosmo magazine. So I, of course, had to look at that. And, um, but then on the side of it says, are you dating a 90-day guy? 
and I had just gotten out of a 90-day relationship. So I bought a Cosmo <laughs> and basically read it and realized that I was a 90-day guy. I had a string of 90-day relationships. Everything goes great for 90 days, and then people start to let the guard down. It says, let the guard down. You have a fight. It's obviously not a good relationship. You're untouchable. You get out. So breaking people's hearts, not really being guarding my own. I was just sort of realizing I needed to change things. Um, and so one of the coolest things I did is after doing this, thinking I'm getting into my mid-20s and I really want to think about getting married, but I just told God, I said, look, I keep screwing up relationships. I don't seem to know what's go how to do this. If you want me single my whole life, fine, I'll be single. If you want me married, you're going to have to find. I just left it that. It's like, see ya, went back to work. I was like, I'm going to go to work. I'm going to go about my life. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'll, you know, but, you know. Three weeks later, I'm standing at work. I'm typing on my computer. I'm at a bank in a grocery store. I worked in one of those grocery store banks. And I'm at my coworker's over here. And he's typing. And I'm typing. And all of a sudden, I hear, get ready. I look up, thinking a client's in front of me. I look over. I said, did you say something? He's like, no. And I started to get the fragrance of God. And I was like, oh, something's happening. I was like, what is going on? And um, he took away my fear of rejection. And I went on a dating spree. I ended up dating six people at a time for two months so on an average. I had to take one day for laundry, and then, but, and, uh, but, I, but what was, I was fearless. I was like, hey, you seem nice. Let's have a, let's go out to dinner. We go to one dinner. Chances are, if, we, if it was good, I'd set you the same day the next week. And then if, usually by that time, I knew whether, you, whether this was moving forward or not. And I would just be like, hey, it's not moving. Let's move on. And, um, but I go to a play with my friend in Dem who, who's dating a, an actress. And uh, so she's also a friend. Of and I go, and, I, and out on stage walks this woman. And something shifts. Like, I'm like, oh, that's, in she's intriguing. Not like, I mean, she's pretty, but it was just like, she's intriguing. There's something different about her. I just watched her do the whole show. I just need to be around this person. And it was a, it was like a proximity magnet. I didn't need for her to like me. I didn't need for her. I just needed to be next to her. She could be talking to you all day long. No problem. But something was different. So for the next three weeks, I was at hanging out with my friend, hanging out with her somehow get into proximity with this person. And one night at a party, we're at a group party and I'm at somebody else's house and I'm s sitting there, look, she's talking to somebody else and I'm so frustrated why I can't figure out why I can't not be around this person. And she's not giving me the time of day and I don't even, it doesn't even bother me that. It just, why do I need to be around this person? And I literally went inside and did the dishes of this guy's house. Just, they're out the window out of the party in the, on the patio and I'm in, inside doing the dishes just because I had to do something. And finally, just was like, okay, I can't get over this. And I walked out of the garage, the driveway. I sat down in the driveway, looked like I was meditating. And I prayed. I don't know what they were thinking because I was just like, whatever. But <clears throat> I said, God, what is it about that woman? <laughs> and he says, this is the most complicated relationship. That's my wife. No, no other person would be like that. Like, that's got to be my wife. That's got to be the one you've chosen. So before she, I even asked her out, I already knew where we were, were headed. I also knew she was going to say yes, even when she said no. I was like, yeah, we're going out. Not even worried about it. She's like, I'm already dating five people. I was like, funny, I'm dating six. Let's get together. <laughs> and um, <laughs> So um, my wife being a preacher's kid, uh, she, we did start dating. Um, I managed to get the other five guys to be uninteresting enough for them to disappear. And, um, and the other six, I just stopped calling, and that just ended that. So... Um, but she was a preacher's kid from a uh, Baptist general controversy. She's from California. Says what she means, which is so great. And she, um, she had a really strong, very cognizant understanding of God and a really strong relationship with Jesus. 
And I just didn't, I didn't need that because I still didn't think that there was something I needed to be saved from. And I, did, I hadn't come to that wrestle, that realization. But so, of course, I went to church with her because that's what you do when you're dating. And, um, and I just knew we were getting together. So we were starting to do life together. So God had already told me it's going to happen. And she started talking to me about who Jesus was and how she typically doesn't um, date people who aren't Christians. And I was like, oh, I'm Christian. And she's like, oh, cool. You know, and I had a good conversational relationship with God and I could define that with mom. I could show how I could hear and talk and understand. And she was like, so she was really struggling with the idea that when she, while she was trying to figure out whether I believed in Jesus or not, she was like, I don't understand how you could talk to God. And I'm like, well, if God is the creator of the universe and the creator of me, I'm pretty sure if he wants to talk to me. Okay, fair point. But at the same time, usually that's done through something. Else. And, um, so she started having conversations with me and I started going to go into church with her. And then we were the singles with Louis Giglio and I'm getting kicked in the head by these two pastors who are giving me really strong understandings of Jesus in new ways. She started. Um, and then I made the comment one day where I did something, I made some sort of shut, shortcut or I made some sort of comment. And she said, you went, wait a minute, who's Jesus to you? And I went, oh, he's a good teacher. This, he's a prophet. And she's like, I'm missionary dating, which maybe a preacher's scary date, but she's excelled at it. Several guys are going to heaven her from high school because that was just a requirement. Do you know what mission? Yeah. Okay. So learn to convert. That was, she was like, no, you're not supposed to do that. Don't want to be doing that. But we were kind of in. So she was, she started throwing Josh McDowell's more than a carpenter at me, walking down an evidentiary path of who Jesus was, breaking down. And we started talking and breaking down. And for the next three months, I, I walked that way and I felt God's leaning towards, hey, I want you to Keep digging in, keep digging in. Um, and so finally, one Tuesday night, um, Louis Giglio was speaking on Revelations 3.20, which is where the one sentence God gave me, um, which is, I have, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If you open the door, I will come. And I realized, God, you want me to step. Jesus is more. And so I took my wife home, dropped her to her apartment, went to my house, and I gave my life to Christ. I was probably living in the darkest part of Atlanta in little five points in a tiny, crummy apartment. And I gave my life to Christ and the entire room, like literally like white liquid draining the wall I was kneeling and weeping. Someone was in the room and he said this thing to me. and it was the same voice I've been hearing. He said, I have to clean house. My response with this person that I knew was, can we skip this? And he's like, you know, we don't, I give in. And uh, so I'm going to read this Psalm to you. 105 chapter, verse 19, God's promise to Joseph purged his character until it was time for his dreams to come true. And I thought, I did not know this scripture until this year. 20 years ago, this is what happened. God purged my character until it was time for me. I ended up getting married because I knew we were getting married. <clears throat> and uh, five years into marriage, I had zero male Christian friends. One of the hardest parts of my relationship was most of my friends were girls because I was living in kind of the fear of evil, waiting for her approval, giving away my authority, understand my masculinity based on the approval. And uh, so living that, I was living that under her as well. I was giving her the rights to my life, my schedule, my desires, all of those things. And so I had no understanding of how to live life with Christian men. So five years into my marriage, I had zero male Christian friends and that nearly wrecked us. And fortunately, God was used that to start a process of discovery. And one of the things I discovered um, was through a coworker. Um, I was completely wrecked, and normally most people can't tell when I'm. And she's like, "What is wrong with you?" And I just unloaded. I just had. I was like, "I don't know what's going on." I know. She's like, um, "I had read this. My brother threw this article at me 
called MDIS. It's like living with a difficult mind. And what it is is people, what it create, what they talk about and what it became, what I came to know was is a thing called emotional incest syndrome. Chosen child syndrome. If you, you know, if you got a chosen child, your favorite brother, favorite daughter, sister, something like that, always can't ever live up to where an adult parent uses the child for emotional support instead of having an adult relationship. So where my mom would use us and our emotional support as instead of having adult relationships with my dad and with other adult Christian women. And so it was serving her. So we, what we would normally do is we built a life and I built a life solving problems for someone else. Part of the reason I'm really good at solving problems is I'm very intuitive because my job as a child was to be intuitive on how to make sure I could make someone else happy who was never happy. And that wrecked me. It's like, you know, when you feel like you got the windows blown out of your life, some big moment. This was a moment where I felt like the walls had been blown off and I was literally standing in a pile of rubble of my life because I had built my entire life serving others. And I couldn't tell anybody what I, I couldn't tell my wife. She's like, what do you want out of life? I don't know. What do you, what do you need to be happy? I don't know. I literally don't know because I can't tell you. And that was the beginning of my healing was in the process of figuring out that there, my entire construct of how I had viewed the world was wrong. And so God used that moment and those experiences to get me connected because I met with, I was in a Bible study with a bunch of guys of varying ages. And I called the 75 year old guy because I was in trouble. And I know he had wrestled with some of the things that I had wrestled with and pornography. And, and because of that, and that was wrecking my marriage, he, I called him and he said, okay, you need to meet with my other friend. With, uh, with this other friend who was about my age and he was going through a divorce. And so we met once a week because neither one of us are in the power to be able to say no to this guy. And so we did. And then he took me to a place called Soli Business. I've heard of this up North Georgia. Um, he's like, I'm going to this event. You're going with me. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I saw for the first time what genuine male Christian relationships look like. How to be vulnerable, how to talk about the things that you don't talk about. Everybody had a labyrinth. Everybody had a basement. Everybody wrestled with, but there was a difference in being able to just communicate and love each other, regardless of that, regardless of where they were in that situation, conquered or not. And so I started walking with a bunch of guys out of that group, and we developed the process of starting the process of being able to learn what Christian male friendships mean. So um, I began to start working on this area of my life. And so one of the things our church did had a giving service time where you go and serve another another nonprofit. And so my wife uh, has a real heart for sex trafficking, just really, you know, just a real fierce anger, hatred toward them. I absolutely agree. And so we decided to help out at Wellspring and they have a thrift shop. Wellspring is where they help women. It's like a halfway house once you get out of this. I, of course, am doing the yard work to stay away from any of the women. That's just because that's just part of it. And I get that. And then later I end up in the room with some of them while I'm folding clothes because it's kind of a thrift shop. And I look over and there's this girl and we're not look. I'm not making eye contact, but I just notice, and she's missing two digits on this finger, one digit on this and half of, and I find out that her pimp cut it off to keep her from, and that just wrecked me. Like, how could you even consider like, and I just, it just broke. But what happened later in a moment of weakness, I ended up at a shop looking for pornography and God went, no one does pornography. And he brought her to mind. And I went and I left. I couldn't participate. And I left and I never went back. So I started to build better relationships and started to learn how to walk with Christian Christian men, learning how to be vulnerable. Clearly, I 
stepped very deep ahead of time, so you just come with me. I appreciate your patience. In 2017, the Holy Spirit began a season of enlightenment with my wife. She started to work with these other women, actively working in areas of Christian faith that we actually were trained. She was actually trained by her father not to believe. And as we talked, I began to catch the fire of this new faith, these faith in these new things. And as that, I started to grow quite a bit and started to develop a new walking relationship with God, getting to know the Holy Spirit on top of getting to know Jesus. And in August, but in August of 2017, I got fired just out of the blue. And I'm, and I'm driving home I'm on the phone with my wife and God interrupts my phone call. Like, hey, I just got fired. Not sure what we're going to do, whatever. And God jumped in and said, I don't want you to worry about your job your reputation or income. I want you to seek me first in this season. And that sentence told me that God had a job for me. He already speaking of my job. That means there's a job. I don't have to worry about a job. I just have to discover it, right? There's a, it's coming at somewhere. Um, I have nothing to fear about my reputation from being fired or just in general. And if God is truly my provider, I can actually operate like my bills are paid because he told me not to worry about my income. And there's a difference between saying you believe God is your provider and living on direct deposit and and actually walking in life like God has your bills. And by the time I got home, I was okay. And God installed a set of faith that all of a sudden I no longer worried about money. I was a banker and I no longer worry about money. And what that what that meant was through this next 15 months or so before I built the business I was the practice that I'm working on now, as I was doing that, I would get a bill and, I, and instead of going, I don't have the money for this. Oh, what are we going to do? Ah, pray for me, everyone. I would go, God, I don't have the money for this right now. I can't wait to see how you're going to pay this bill. And I put it down and I'd go. i go about my day. And it was wild. I never missed a bill. I never went into debt. And I grew like a weed. It was the best desert season of my life. I did not want to start working on it. It was so rich with God. Because I responded the right way. And here's what I learned about God's nature and the focus of our relationship. First, there are no problems in heaven. So there are no problem solvers. God is not a problem solver. What that, I was working with men in job transition. I was going through this place called C3G where we all sit around and try and help each other find jobs and keep ourselves motivated. And I was sitting there like completely relaxed and totally in faith and happy and serving everybody. I was just like pouring into these men. Many men with this, you know, with white hair who had never done a resume in 30 years. Terrified. And I'm over here like, God's got you. This is the best season of your life. You're so, I'm so excited for what you're about to go. And they're like, that doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, God doesn't make a lot of sense in this world sometimes. And he loves doing that. So there are no problems in heaven. So what that means, because there are no problems in heaven, he doesn't solve a problem. So when you have a problem, that's intractable. And you're like, oh, this is a huge problem. God has already provided the provision and the upgrade. When Jesus healed someone, he did not just heal someone. He healed them by transforming them. So a lot of times their circumstances became less relevant or even irrelevant in the process of them coming to a new understanding. of. And so when God gives you a problem, you actually get to look with joy because you know God is trying to do something with you. The way I heard it put was, God is telling you, I am done with you on this level with me. We have to go deeper. So I put this in front of you to get you to a new place of faith. So literally I could call Eric and be like, hey, I got this huge problem. And Eric would be like, oh man, I'm so jealous. <laughs> you, sh you know, make sure you share it with me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And when you get one, you gotta call me because I don't wanna miss out on what God's doing. Let's change 
totally changed my perspective. Fearlessness came out of this, right? Because there's no fear in, in God. My operating belief versus my head belief. You know, the grumbling son in the in the field. You know, this parable where the guy guy says, says to both sons, go do this. One son says, sure, I'll go do it. And then doesn't. And the other one is like, oh, heck no. And he's grumbling and he goes off and then he gets mad and he goes and does it anyway. And God loved the one who went and just did Operating knowledge. Are we actually operating with our faith? Do my walking like God is my provider or I'm not? You know, when I use a credit card, instead of saying, I'm going to wait on the Lord to pay for this, was I operating that way? And the la and I went through a job transition a few years before that, and I hit the 401k. Every time the car needed repair, I was fists in the air with guy like, come on, come through for me. And this time I was like, oh, you've already come through for me. I just can't wait to figure it out. But got, you know, totally different life. And my, and my marriage thrived because of it, because I'm over here walking in peace. And she's like, this is so different. I come home refreshed every day came home with the new life every day. On the other side of your obedience, this is someone else's breakthrough. So a lot of times when God is asking me to do something, he's trying to break through for somebody else. He wants to participate with you. He doesn't want to do it for you, he wants to do it with you. And so when I realized I was like, sometimes me sitting in a jobless situation, I literally sat with a guy whose doctor asked him if he had a gun or a fast car. And I broke this guy open by asking the right questions. And he, and he confessed that to me. And two other men sitting at the table had gone through the same suicidal thoughts in a job transition and had conquered it. And they ministered to him. I didn't minister to the guy. I broke him open. And the other two of 100 people sitting around happened to be sitting at his table. And we, we served that guy and kept his heart believing alive. <clears throat> and he got a job next week because he needed it. The rest of us could take a little longer. So, um... Let me see. I learned about shameless audacity. Um, in Luke chapter 11, uh, there's a parable of a neighbor waking up his other neighbor going, hey, I have guests. Give me bread. Give me bread. And the, the, the neighbor's like, dude, I'm in uh, uh, the house is locked up. The kids are in bed. And he was like, give me food. Give me food. You got to give me stuff. And what Jesus says about this, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of your friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. God loves shameless audacity to be able to say, I want more than this. And this is not enough, even though this is a great blessing. I was like, you know, the way I explained it was I was talking to the, my, my pastor about what was going on after a particularly rough day. And he goes, he goes, well, is this enough for you? Is this one thing that you're looking for? Is it enough for you? It's like, why don't we pray for six of them? <coughs> OK, let's pray for six cool, shameless, ridiculous. God is ridiculously generous. He wants to do crazy things in you because when you're with him, he wants to do things for other people and he wants to do it through you. That was something I had to figure out. And I started to ask shamelessly. And the last thing, I, another thing I came to realize was the um, kingdom of heaven. Our job, as, as Jesus told Peter, was that, you know, on this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. What are, what are gates for? Offense or defense? <clears throat> defense. What does that mean about us? We're supposed to be an offense. And that was a game changer. Like David running down with five stones to take on Goliath. He ran into the field. He took five stones because Goliath had four brothers. Goliath was the beginning of his victory, not the victory as far as he was concerned. He was like, oh, you're all going. Like your whole family. I'm taking your whole family out. That's how confident he was with God. That's the warrior God is trying to grow in you. So um, I learned about the authority of my voice. While journaling one night, um, he told me, I have, a great, I have given you a great voice. 
realized later as I studied that it's powered by God when I let great voices can be done, can do great things and they can do greatly terrible. Um, and I think God goes with you on that. Um, a few months later, I began to believe that, um, oh, about that, Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. It's not enough for us to quietly pray. You need to physically declare as if you're speaking into the heavenly realms. Now, sit and you're speaking to something greater. So even if you're speaking to an empty room, declaring something, something about your life, declaring a truth, you're speaking to more. And, I, and that was just a really impactful thing. Um, the one last thing we're going to move. I know we're running out of time and I appreciate your patience. But um, I also learned about strongholds. God is a stronghold for you. It's a place of rest. A stronghold in your life like pornography, pride, anger. Hang on to anger like it's so precious, right? What do I do without my anger? What do I do without my envy? You know, whatever. What do I do without this fear? How do I live without fear? Strongholds are a place of rest, but Christ wants to clean house. So Amos 5, chapter 9, chapter, uh, verse 9, with a blinding flash, he destroys the stronghold. God doesn't want to, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to break your own stronghold. A lot of them are principalities. A generational sin, like the one that was over me, came Live, has out, long lived before me. I was dealing with a principality and I needed God to solve it. I needed men to help me solve it. I needed to take a defiant action on my own, but at the same time, I needed to not do it alone and I needed to do it with God as well. And that in itself was the reason when God shows up in the actions that you're taking. And um, so I realized that God's posture with this gates of hell, taking out a stronghold, that the stronghold I was putting in my life was the very thing that it was an enemy resting place on the territory of Jesus, which is my heart. And what that meant was I'm standing outside in the field with the armor of God placed all over me, like ready to defend against the slings and arrows and all this other stuff. Well, the whole time I'm standing outside this, the very resting place that I have granted my enemy to attack me from. So it just sits there and then comes out. So I'm standing there ready, waiting for this battle. The difference is, is I need to gather my brothers. I need to gather my Lord and his power. And I need to tear down every stone in that area. You are on God's territory. You have to go. You don't get to come back and you have no place of rest because you have nothing for me. That is a posture I had to learn. That is a hatred for your sin that delights the Lord because it this thing obstructs God living on my, in the territory of my heart. So one of the things I, I learned about this also was in Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. God chose me to end the generational sins of my family. And then he gave me the authority of my voice to loose that on the earth. So there's nothing my family can do to escape the goodness of God because I'm standing in the room. My brother is lukewarm in faith and his family. All of them. The kids are now growing and checking out a church again. My sister has never set foot in a church since she went to eternity, unless she goes to a funeral or comes to see me. My mother still kind of goes to church, but has no growing. Just recently started to grow with Christ. My father has no interest. Those people are in my house. Now I am in the house of the Lord. I have the authority to say that is my house and we're going to serve the Lord. And I have prayed over every home. I have anointed their homes with oil and prayed over them and declared for them that that territory belongs to the Lord because we are in the house of the Lord. So I'll leave you with this. Amos 9.13 is available. And Amos 9.13 says, there's a season where the reaper will overtake the sower. God is so good that he will give you the opportunity in some seasons of your life 
to be pulling the fruit off the tree before the tree is planted. Doesn't make any sense. It's not supposed to, okay? That life is available right now. You guys are young enough. Do that in your families. Create a season where everyone goes, I cannot figure out what has happened. My dad, my grandpa, I want that. Joshua 24, 15 is available to your family, but God will often choose to do it with you, not for you because he loves you too much to leave you. So if you ask for that, just expect, it's like praying for patience. Just expect that things happen if he grants that prayer, right? Declare it. What is he going to do and require of you to change? What do you have to give up in your own personal life to become the, the sounding, you know, the volume, the megaphone into your family? Romans 8, 38 and 39 is available for you. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor present nor future, or any powers, height nor depth, or anything else in all creation can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The only thing not wrenched in there is your past. And many of us, including me, crippled by the shame of my past, made me feel like I was unworthy. None of that is scripturally true. And their past belongs to Jesus because he bought it for. So looking back at the past that I lived, the decisions I made, the recklessness and all of the stuff that I did, without letting Christ inform me what that past means and what great thing he can bring from it, is actually looking outside my nature in Christ. So if you haven't brought your past to Jesus to let him tell you what, what is going on, what vic- thing that you might have been a victim of, what might have thing that was wronged, what wrong you committed, that is all something Jesus can do something with because he is so good he can take evil things and turn it into great things. So don't let your past hold you from the future that God has for you. Current statistics say that around 60% of Christian men su- struggle with sexual brokenness. I've heard as high as 80%. Are you going to get them? Are you going to mentor them? Are you going to just see them? Chances are if you talk to one, anyone in their 20s, and just straight up, I have never had a person say no. Like, oh, so how are you, how are you wrestling with pornography? And they're like, I am. It's okay. I understand. I understand what the bad choices are. I understand better choices too. Let me help you with that. And I'm not going to let you go. And I'm not going to make you behave in a way that's worthy of you're already worthy of love and of a future. You will never have enough talent or time to fulfill the vision God has for your life. But believing that you don't have enough talent is actually dishonoring to God. You have plenty of talent. You all have very much experience in a lot of different things and in life. You have a lot of experience with God. You have a lot of wisdom and knowledge. You have a lot of work experience. Help someone. Own what you have and give it back to God. And then the miracle comes when he comes with you. What do you want from me? He shows up in big ways because that's who he is. If you have more than you need, you may be living the life. You may not be living the life God has for you. Living in a state of consistent and need of God for provision is probably more like the way God expected us to be able to live. But we also should be doing If you're not doing with joy, you're not generous. You're not cheerful giving. You're not doing it. You're just grumbling, right? But if you're living in joy, like I can't wait to give away all this extra money. I can't wait to give away all this time. I can't wait to give. I can't wait. God's going to be like, yeah, that's my guy. I can't wait to give him more. I'm going to give him more than he can handle because he doesn't need it. And the Lord has something important for you to do. So I pray that the Lord awakens you to that few young men, young warriors. I love you. I'm proud of you. Care about you. And we have a great future ahead of you. I can't wait to hear about it. You know, last week, uh, Chris spoke to us about disease. Steve had a lot to say this morning about disappointment and and doubt. Whether or not it's your son or your son-in-law or a nephew, we're approaching a time of year where you're going to be gathered with people in your family. The things that we've, we've spoken about and that we've thought about this morning are really relevant. And none of us are skilled in how to talk about it. 
but we're gifted with the opportunity and we have to trust that if you are on the lookout for it, there's somebody in your life who needs a glimpse of some of what you heard this morning. It's okay to stumble through it because you never know when you're opening just the door, just the crack that they need to have a very different 2020. Um, so I'm grateful this morning that we're kicking off our Advent season with the gift of realization that our past does not have to control us and that the grace has already been purchased. We just have to be in a place to receive it. And it's hard to do when we're so busy being busy. So I wish you, um, as we approach the busiest time of the year sometimes, moments of just clarity around the reason for the season. So Barney's going to come up and help us um, uh, talk a little bit about one of the projects going on at the church and um, that in, involves, you want to come up? I don't need to come up. Great. They can hear me. <laughs> We're desperate starting in after because of the Christmas gift and crafts, and they have had very, very few <coughs> volunteers step up. 50 volunteers have got five or six, and I promised them that I would speak to those people who have available time to help out for the time ahead of it. I'll, I'll be here at this table. If you're willing to help out, I can give you the contacts. Pray for your volunteers. So thank you. I'll be here waiting and you can help us out. What do they need? They need bodies. They need haulers. They need unloaders. They need salespeople. They need people. So the, the craft sale is part of what um, helps raise money for, for missions, the youth. For, the youth. for the youth, and you know really helps drive a lot of what we can do at All To Your Life. They're going to be here in this building as it starts. When is it? This starting this afternoon. You don't have to. You don't have to bring your work gloves. It might be driving golf carts. It might be handing out biscuits. It is not surgery. It does not require a whole lot of preparation. It requires just your time and attention. Willingness. Willingness to be here this afternoon on Friday most of the day and on Saturday until about four o'clock. Uh, so, you know, bring somebody, just come say, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to go fellowship together and, and pitch in. Um, and it will, will mean a tremendous amount to uh, the youth program in this next year. Um, invite somebody to a concert. Our church is very blessed to have a very um, intense Christmas season. There will be uh, Bethlehem activities. <laughs> but next weekend, we have two concerts. The red concert tickets are for Friday night at 7.30. And even if you don't have a ticket on Friday night, you can show up. They're generally seats Friday night. Sunday afternoon tickets are in shorter supply. I have tickets. There may be choir members at your table who are also supposed to bring tickets. If you have tickets, raise your hand in this room. All right. So, okay, good. Those folks can help you uh, invite somebody to our church. I guarantee you. It will be a different experience than it was last year. We have a new choir director. We were rehearsing the music last night. There's one piece in Latin, and if that doesn't get you out, I don't know what will. <laughs> it's a beautiful piece, and it's right in the middle of the concert. We start out singing uh, from memory, and we got a couple of pieces from memory, so we'll actually look up from our music, and you will get to see us, and I so hope you will bring anybody in your community, your next-door neighbors, it's going to be a lot of fun, and you never know what the next step will be. So I have tickets. I'm going to leave them up here, and I look forward to seeing everybody next year. So, um, Steve, would you come pray us out? Heavenly Father, generous God, the one who gives more than we can imagine, we invite you into a new season of Christmas. Um, I pray that you give, give us boldness, but also give us eyes to see 
our hurting brothers, our hurting children, um, and then help us when we open our mouths to say the words, knowing that it's, we got to say the first sentence and God, then you're going to just come through in ways that are right. Help us to see each one for who you see them as, not what, not see the sin they are carrying or the shame that they're carrying. Invite them as champions and warriors to be, to see themselves the way you see them. So give us those words, Lord. And I pray that you just bless these men in this season, bless this church, bring your spirit and your heart into this place so that they serve and grow and everything comes grows with them. I pray that this church just creates a great and divine place that brings hope and peace to the people around them. Um, we just thank you so much for this time today. And it's in Jesus' name. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you.